0: Hello. Before I begin the podcast, I'd like to throw in a little disclaimer about what I'm going to be talking about in today's episode. In this episode, I will be reading graphic descriptions of murder, violence, sexual violence, torture, and other things that are only suitable for mature audiences. I strongly suggest that if you are under the age of 13, or if you just feel like you won't be able to handle hearing descriptions of brutal serial murders, that you go ahead and turn off the podcast now. No harm, no foul, and everyone's happy. So, as always, with this kind of content, listener discretion is heavily advised. With that being said, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the 8th episode of my podcast, The Serial Killer Countdown, where I take some time to talk about serial killers that I find interesting and that haven't been extensively covered by the mainstream Western media. And I'm just going to tell you, this one is pretty interesting, so I'm not going to add any fluff to the beginning of this, and let's just jump right in. The man I'll be talking about today is named Andrei Chikatilo, also known as the Butcher of Rostov. And if you're not current on your world geography, Rostov is a city in southern Russia. So today's podcast will be about a Soviet serial killer. Uh, And I say Soviet is because uh, when Chikatilo was active, the USSR was still a thing. Um, The butcher of Rostov, Andrei Chikatilo, was apprehended in 1990 and convicted of murdering 52 women and children all over the USSR. But of course, as with most serial killers, he is suspected of killing many more than that. So let's start at the beginning and try to figure out how Chikatilo got to the point of being one of the most infamous uh, Russian serial killers of all time. Now, this podcast is no stranger to serial killers with troubled upbringings, whether that be poverty or war or abuse, and I strongly believe it's widely accepted that those kind of situations heavily contribute to these men becoming killers later in life. And Andre Chikatilo is no different. In fact, his childhood may just be the worst that I've seen in all my time researching these serial killers so far. Andrei Chikatilo was born in 1936 in a small village in Soviet Ukraine. When he's born, Ukraine is in the middle of a terrible famine caused by Joseph Stalin's agricultural policies, his parents are farm laborers, and the entire family lives in a small single-room hut. His parents don't even earn wages for their jobs. They simply earn the right to cultivate a farm and they basically just farm a small piece of land behind their hut. That is their quote unquote farm. So obviously Chikatilo is living in extreme poverty with really not even enough to eat most days. He would later claim that he didn't taste bread until he was 12 years old and that his family subsisted on leaves and grass for weeks or months at a time. Chicatillo even claims that his mother repeatedly told him that he had had an older brother, but he was kidnapped and cannibalized by starving neighbors. Chicatillo's early life is defined by abuse, famine, violence, and war. Chicatillo's father would be inscripted into the Red Army during World War II, leaving him with no father figure. And during this time, he shares a bed with his mother and is a chronic bedwether, causing his mother to severely beat him. In 1943, Chikatilo's mother gives birth to his sister, Tatiana. However, since his father was in the army at the time, it's widely believed that this child was the result of his mother being raped by German soldiers, most likely while he was forced to watch due to the size of their home. Surprisingly, the misery that he encountered in his daily life makes Chikatilo retreat into his school studies. According to his teachers at the time, he's a shy, timid, model student who regularly receives praise from teachers at school. However, his timid nature, in addition to his propensity for academic pursuits, causes him to be mocked and bullied mercilessly by his peers exacerbating these problems chikatilo discovers at the onset of puberty that he suffers from chronic impotence which worsens his self-hatred so i mean this guy it's pretty brutal this guy's upbringing he grows up in extreme poverty his brother is killed by cannibal neighbors his father leaves because he's recruited to the army his mother is raped while he is forced to watch and now he has impotence problems it's just it's one thing after another, and it's just absolutely brutal. The first time it's really glimpsed at what he would become later in life is at age 17, when he's, he wrestled an 11-year-old friend of his sister's to the ground and ejaculated while she struggled against him. During his late teens and early adulthood, Chikatilo was involved with a number of women, all of whom eventually break it off with him due to his impotence problems. Eventually, he is in a pretty serious relationship with a young woman who innocently asks her friends for advice about Chikatilo's sexual problems, but as a result of this, the entire town basically finds out about his affliction. About the situation, Chikatilo himself later said, quote, Girls were going behind my back, whispering that I was impotent. I was so ashamed. I tried to hang myself, End quote. However, his mother and some neighbors save him as he is about to hang himself, but he does end up moving away from his hometown not much later. In 1963, at the age of 27, Chikatilo is introduced to a woman by his, f- by his sister named Theodosia, whom he ends up marrying only two weeks later in what he would later describe as an arranged marriage. Due to his ongoing impotence problems, Chikatilo and his wife agree to conceive by having him ejaculate onto his fingers and push the semen into his wife manually. This method actually results in the birth of their two children, a daughter named Lyudmila and a son named Yori. A year later, Chikatilo obtains a job as a teacher, however he is described as being largely ineffective as he could not maintain discipline in his classes due to his meek nature. In spite of this, he remains as a teacher for about 10 years, and in 1973, Chikatilo commits his first known sexual assault against one of his pupils. During the incident at his school, um, he grabs a 15-year-old girl and gropes her breasts, ejaculating as she struggles against him. Just a short while after this, Chikatilo again sexually assaults another girl whom he had locked in his classroom. Astoundingly, he was not disciplined for either of these incidents. Eventually due to the sheer number of complaints lodged against him, he's asked to discreetly resign his post which he does in 1974, however he would find another teaching job just a few months later. And I find it just... Pretty much insane that the principal of the school didn't contact the authorities, didn't even fire Chikatilo, he was just asked to quietly resign. Other schools were not even informed of Chikatilo's predilection for assaulting young girls, so he just simply gets a job at another school. It's really mind-boggling. Eventually, Chikatilo's career as a teacher would come to an end due to the amount of complaints filed against him by students. And this is when he would begin moving on from sexual assault to murder. In 1978, Chikatilo lures a 9-year-old girl to his house and attempts to rape her. However, he fails to achieve an erection, and while the girl struggles to escape from him, Chikatilo chokes and stabs her three times in the stomach, ejaculating as he does so. He would then throw her body into a nearby river. Despite a substantial amount of evidence in the case linked to Chikatilo, another man is eventually arrested for the murder of the young girl and is executed by firing squad due to a forced confession by police. Following this first murder, Chikatilo is unable to even achieve any kind of erection at all without killing and would later claim that the urge to recreate his first murder was overwhelming. However, he's still desperately trying to resist these urges at this point. In 1982, Chikatilo encounters a 13-year-old girl while walking home from a shopping trip. Following the girl, once they were out of view of passerbys, Chikatilo pounces on the girl and drags her into the woods, attempting to undress her. As she struggles, Chikatilo stabs her 22 times while imitating intercourse and shallowly buries her body in the undergrowth. Following this murder, Chicatillo no longer attempts to resist his murderous urges. He murders a further five victims in a two-month period in 1982, his M.O. being to approach young vagrants or runways and entice them into a secluded, wooded area where he would kill them by stabbing them while imitating having sex with them. Many victims were also strangled or battered to death. Due to the sheer brutality of these murders, and that most of the victims had the same marks on them, particularly eyes that had been gouged out by a knife, police began to link at least four of the victims to the same killer. Because of the heat of the case in Rostov, Chikatilo actually does not kill again until around mid-1983, but by then his urges to murder have become almost too much for him to bear, and in just a few short months, he has killed a further five victims. And now in Rostov, the bodies are just piling up. Because of the body count and the brutality of the crimes, the police begin to think that a group that is harvesting organs or satanic cult is behind the murders. And this is something that I've talked about before, and it's something that's very commonly was very commonly believed before serial killers were widely known. Police generally couldn't fathom that one person could be responsible for a multitude of killings like this, so they would assume that a cult is responsible. Also around this time, police begin interrogating some persons of interest about these murders, and their interrogation techniques are so brutal and heavy-handed that they actually obtain multiple confessions from these people pertaining to the murders. However, once the killings continued with the suspects in custody, the police had no choice but to let them go. Their interrogations were so brutal, in fact, that four men ended up killing themselves due to the heavy-handed tactics of the police. And that's something that I've never really heard of before, and that's, that's crazy to me. The police were so gung-ho about these investigations that they ruined the lives of multiple people and caused others to commit suicide just by interrogating them. Finally, in 1984, Chikatilo receives his first brush with the law when he is observed by two undercover detectives acting very shifty at a Rostov bus station. Uh, He's attempting to talk to women, and they even witness him commit acts of public indecency towards some women by fondling himself in front of them. Because of this, he's arrested by the detectives and held until they could find out who he was. A search of his belongings that he had on him reveal a 20-centimeter knife, a few lengths of rope, and a jar of Vaseline. So, yeah, not suspicious at all. The police realize his description matches the descriptions given by witnesses at many of the murders and... And this causes the police to decide to have his blood tested. However, when his blood is tested, it comes back as type A, and because the semen tested at the scene of the murders tested as type AB, this causes the police to think that he's not the killer. During this investigation, it was found out that he had stolen from his previous employer and he is sentenced to one year in prison, but he only ends up serving about three months before his eventual release. Upon his release from prison, Shikatilo finds work at an automotive plant, and by this time the police in Rostov are just at a loss, they have no clue who's committing these murders, and basically the entire force is on this single investigation at this point. The police even decide to consult a psychiatrist, Dr. Alexander Bukhanovsky, for a psychological profile of the killer, and this is the first time that anything like this has really ever been done in the Soviet Union. Bukhanovsky's 65 page psychological profile is pretty much right on the mark. He describes the unknown killer as having a rough childhood and being unable to court women. He describes the knife being used as a substitute for the killer's non-functioning penis and that he can only achieve sexual pleasure by watching his victims suffer. Bukhanovsky also tells police that he believes the killer may work at some kind of factory and live near a train station due to the date and times of the killings being only on weekdays. The only problem with the accuracy of the profile and the massive media attention the case is getting at this time is that everything in the report is being broadcast on TV by the news. Chikatilo follows the case very closely and realizes that he has to change what he's doing or he's going to be found out. And following a murder in August of 1985, Chikatilo does not commit another murder for almost a year. This causes police to believe he has left town and moved to a different part of the Soviet Union. Then in 1987, Chikatilo's murderous impulses begin to overwhelm him. However, because of the psychological profile, he knows that he can't kill anyone in Rostov, so he commits three more murders while he is on a business trip. These murders were not even linked to the case until much, much later. By 1990, Chikatilo has been successfully fooling police by killing people all over the Soviet Union. However, he kills three more people who are then linked to the serial killer manhunt. And the discovery of these victims sparks a massive police operation. The police come up with a pretty interesting idea to try and capture the murderer. They decide to place a large police presence at all the major train stations in Rostov and making it very obvious that there are police presences here. And the only, they only place undercover police officers at, officers at the smaller stations. This plan would cause Chikatilo to avoid the large stations and only use the smaller ones, making him much easier to snare. And it pretty much worked exactly like that. In November of 1990, after killing and mutilating a 22-year-old woman, Chikatilo is observed by an undercover policeman washing himself in a nearby well. The officer notices stains on his clothes and arms and that he is not dressed like a normal forest scavenger, who are generally the only people at this time who are entering and exiting the woods. The officer stops Chikatilo and makes a report, including his name, passport, and his description, however, he does not arrest him as he really has no formal evidence against this man. A few days later, another woman's body is found with the same M.O., at this point the 36th body to have been found and linked to this one murderer. The police scour all the reports made in this area in the previous week, and many notice Chikatilo as having been a familiar face, especially in places where people had gone missing linked to the case. The police decide this is the time to put Chikatilo under surveillance, and over the next week they notice him doing very suspicious things like talking to young women or children alone and gesturing for them to follow him. When none do, he begins to seek out new prey. This is enough for the police to finally arrest Chikatilo, and on November 20th, 1990, he is finally apprehended by the authorities. During this time, due to the high amount of evidence against Chikatilo, the police perform another blood test on him, again confirming confirming that his blood type is A, whereas the police believe the killer's blood type is AB. However, this time, because the police had sampled the killer's DNA from semen rather than blood, they decide to take a semen sample from Chikatilo while he is in custody, and this semen sample confirms to the police that while Chikatilo's blood type is A, his semen type is AB, which was very uncommon at the time. At this point, really the only thing the police are looking for from Chikatilo is a confession to really put the final nail in his coffin, so to speak. To do this, the police bring in the same doctor who originally gave them their psychological profile, Dr. Bukanovsky. Dr. Bukhanovsky reads his 65-page report directly to Chikatilo, and finally, after around two hours of this, Chikatilo bursts into tears and confesses to the murders. And let me tell you, his confession is pretty disturbing to read. In his confession of his crimes, Chikatilo describes his victims by saying that he would lure them to a secure area before killing them. He says he would tie his victims' hands behind their back with a length of rope and inflict a multitude of shallow cuts to the chest area of the victim. He would then steadily go deeper and deeper with his cuts until finally he would begin to eviscerate his victim entirely, all while they're still alive. While doing this, Chikatilo says he would writhe on top of his victim until achieving orgasm. In a particularly disturbing part of his confession, Chikatilo adds that his victims, quote, "'Cries, blood, and agony gave me relaxation, a certain pleasure,' end quote." Chikatilo's trial turns into a pretty big media event in Russia, and it's basically the first big media event for post-Soviet Russia, Um, and during the proceedings, it kind of becomes sort of a circus, as Chikatilo routinely flashes himself to the courtroom He bursts out into rambling, disjointed speeches, sometimes screaming over top of the judge when the judge is trying to speak. And these antics cause the judge to constantly berate Chikatilo many times over the course of the trial, telling him that he knows he is not insane, which is pretty rare for a judge to say to a defendant, I think, but it's pretty hard to blame the judge in this one. A few months after the court proceedings, Chikatilo is found guilty of 52 of his 53 murder charges, and he is sentenced to death for each offense. The judge concludes his sentencing by saying, quote, "...taking into consideration the horrible misdeeds of which he is guilty, this court has no alternative but to impose the only sentence that he deserves. I therefore sentence him to death." A few months after the sentencing in February of 1994, Chikatilo is executed by a single gunshot to the head and is buried in an unmarked grave in the prison cemetery. thank you all so much for listening to the Serial Killer Countdown podcast. 2020 was an absolutely crazy year for me, just as I'm sure it was for a lot of you. But hopefully I can get back to producing some more episodes of this podcast, as it really does interest me to research these killers and their crimes, just as much as you hopefully enjoy listening to them. If this podcast is something that you'd be interested in supporting, or if you just want to let me know that you want a more set schedule or anything you want to let me know, you can tell me by emailing me at skcpod at gmail.com. That's S-K-C-P-O-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And until the next one, I'll see you.